What if we could transform the experience of being a woman chiropractor from one of constant stress and burnout, trying to juggle all the things to one of ease, energy, and thriving both in business and in life. I'm your host, Dr. Alex Swenson Ridley. I'm a woman DC who became one of the one in five chiropractors who burn out in practice by year seven. To the outside world, I achieved the financial and business success only 1% of the profession reaches. But the reality was it left me bruised and battered both emotionally and physically. Today, I help other women chiropractors revitalize their body and practice by stepping into their unique power and rewriting the rules so that they can thrive at home and in business. What we do is far too important for so many of us to struggle and burn out. And this show brings you the conversations, lessons, and permission to be you, redefine success, and transform the experience of being a female chiropractor. Let's dive in. Hello, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alex. I'm pretty excited for today's conversation. You'll find out why momentarily, but I am joined by Carol Stizza, who is an executive leadership coach, senior HR professional, and a strength strategist, spe- strength strategy specialist. Say that 10 times fast. Mouthful, yeah. <laughs> who coaches professionals to get clear on what matters most to them, especially around how they want to measure success for breakthrough tomorrows. She holds a master's in industrial organizational psychology, supported a military family across the U.S. for 26 years, and has received awards that include Woman of the Year, Volunteer of the Year, and her favorite, Coolest Yaya from her four-year-old grandson. She currently guides executives in public, private, IT, marketing, nonprofit, and government space. Carol speaks internationally and is a contributing author in several things, it looks like. So Carol, welcome to the show. We'll just kind of thank you, thank you, and a plus on the name um, because it's I married into a, a difficult to say name. So thank you. That's okay. I married out of a difficult to say name. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Those culture twerks, I tell you. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I know that we um, kind of touched base around talking about how we, as women, you know, act in the world of worthy, like even when we don't feel worthy, how we handle all that. So that's going to be a fun conversation, but I like to just hear a little of, you know, your journey, how you got into doing what you do and kind of what's brought you to the stage of life. Well, I'll try and make a long story, not longer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When we were moving around the country, uh, I wasn't able to maintain work with just one company. Mm -hmm. I ended up having to really reinvent myself every single time we moved so that I could, I could work. And I wanted to work around the kids' schedules because my husband traveled all the time. So it was like being a single parent half the month and then a supportive spouse the other half of the month. And you're like, oh, this is really, really interesting. I've had some brilliant opportunities and brilliant jobs along the way. And when we got to the point where we were closing out his Air Force career after 26 years, I looked back and everything I'd ever done now falls underneath um, the HR world, training and development, conflict negotiation, you know, hiring and onboarding, all these things, even teaching, you know, can fall right underneath taking care of people. So I had the chance to get my graduate um, degree and I chose industrial organizational psychology because I really wanted to kind of capstone everything I'd done. And that degree is basically on the research and science of how to make people happy working together. All right. Um, it's 
it's got some positive psychology in there. It's got a lot of assessments in there. It's just how do we assess and make better the work environment for everyone? And now with a hybrid work environment, it's it's got some new nuances to it. But mm-hmm. to your point in, in finishing that story, I was um, an HR consultant for a while and then came out of a health scare that made my autonomy over my time very valuable. I wanted to say where I was spending my days. Um, I love work. And so the great thing is that I could work as much as I wanted to on any one day. Mm-hmm. But I also could then take time off and be present for my family or friends when I knew those moments mattered. So that was really the reason I stepped into full-time coaching because um, the other half of that story was HR had become very litigious, very mm-hmm. paper-driven. And I was getting more and more layers of to-dos between me and the people and my gift is working with people, specifically also working with difficult people. Thanks, Ted. Um, so it's just one of those, you know, bring all your life together. Where is it going to be? And so I had been uh, subconsciously coaching. And I learned that with one of my last clients where they said, you know, we get so much out of working with you and you're the HR consultant that we fired our coach. And I looked at myself and I thought to myself, I said, I know what you, how much you were paying for that coach. And I'm delivering more. I think I'm in the wrong side of this equation. Yeah. So as we closed up, they said, what are you doing next? I said, you gave me an idea that now is time for me to step into full-time executive coaching. And they go, oh, you're going to be amazing at it. And I go, yeah, if you ever need me, hire me back. Right. It was just like, this. (laughs) it's really like good, like, oh, affirmation. And, you know, you do what you need to do. Um, you, You get certified, you make sure that you're honoring Um, what corporations need to use as a measuring stick for who they hire for their talent. Um, So, you know, we're always getting certified in something these days for whoever. Um, But it was a joy to kind of see what the universal global language is um, being used in the coaching world. And I find that my passion is working with people who lead people, because ironically, we will do more for others than we will for ourselves. But yeah, you have to walk the the talk for you to be a, a better leader. So doing it for your people does it for you too. And so I find it just a very um, interesting equation, but it's where I find I get to help people the most. Yeah. Ooh, there's a lot of juicy tidbits that we can go on from your, your story. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is, you know, for those listening, because I know a lot of women who listen to the show are either in a job that they don't really love or they've, you know, hit burnout in some ways. And I I did this as a chiropractor. I've talked about it quite a bit, but part of the rebrand that I did with this show um, came out of, I finally had two coaches just kind of look at me and be like, you're not doing the right thing. <laughs> it's like, so I had one of those moments too. And for those listening, like, you know, if you're struggling with that, or I've talked a lot about zone of genius and I've done a lot of kind of work in figuring out what that is for myself over the years and found it really helpful. But, you know, if you're feeling stuck in like, there's, a, you're only doing part, like part of the time you're doing what you really love, hone in on that, listen for those mm. moments. And so as soon as I shifted, I've actually like niched way down now in how I work. I'm helping other chiropractors navigate burnout and build a practice that actually feels good. And right. that's like, a huge and I'm really thing. glad you brought yeah. that up. Um, tidbit you know how the universe well i believe the universe kind of drops little things in your path and it it takes 
often somebody else's comment to make you know how relevant that moment was. And this morning, I was listening to a podcast that was interviewing um, Marty Seligman, who invented positive psychology. Okay. And he was talking about burnout. He was talking about those moments where you need to lean in. His approach, which I think has merit just to follow that comment, if you're in a position and there's things you love and things you don't love, his suggestion was go find, sit back. And and he actually offers a free assessment um, online and I'd need to go find that because it wasn't front of mind to capture it. But he offers a free assessment where you find out your natural strengths. And, and it's not like uh, strength finders. And I do a lot of assessments with strength finder, which I love. Right. He kind of took it from their 34 down to 24 and says, if you are a creative, if you love humor, if you love art, right? So look at what you love doing and how those are tapping into the, the, the character strengths you have. Now look at what you don't like and how can you take those same strengths and relook at or reframe what you don't like doing so that you are tapping into your creativity, you are tapping it, whatever it is that your strengths are. And I, and it's all about perspective. How yeah. can you take what you're already good at and then look at what you hate doing through that lens? How do we make it more along the lines where I see where my strengths are helping me or I can include my strengths and elevate it? And he gave an example of, <laughs> which I don't care, I could actually make that leap, but he, had college students who would study in the library until midnight. Mm-hmm. And and then one guy needed to walk home. So he signed up for this group that was forced to study at the library. And and he didn't want to walk. He had a, a, an hour walk. And he was like, I, I hate that. I hate that walk. I don't. And they go, well, what are your strengths? He goes, well, I love humor and I love fun and I love being creative. And they go, how can you take fun, humor and creative and look at that walk home? And he bought rollerblades. <laughs> and he he put on musics and stand up comedians, and he told he 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 just would look at life through the lens of, and then he started taking longer routes. He started maximizing the hour. Now it was his favorite part of the day. Now I'm not saying that's going to work for everybody, right? I, I you know who likes to go. The favorite part of my day is cleaning a toilet. No, <laughs> no, you know. To but if you have to clean the toilet, how do you listen to a comedian or you know what do you do to bring joy? Mm-hmm. into this really thing that you've dreaded because the more we we place dread somewhere the dread grows yeah and it's we have control over that and we forget to give ourselves permission that we have control over that and i thought that was really a, a neat little plug there as you're talking about people who are stuck doing part of what they love and part mm-hmm. of what they don't love and that part that they don't love is what triggers the burnout yes yeah. So let's be mindful of that. If you can't, if there's no way on this green earth that you can take any one of your strengths and make that something that's going to give something back to you, yes, you're right. Reshape everything. Or is it just a perspective shift? And I think that really is, um, I just want to encourage people to take more control over how they look at things too. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's important. And sometimes it requires like, especially if you're, so my, I've done a lot of work. I don't know if you've heard of the working genius, um, Pat mm-hmm. Lanchoni came out with this. So I like yeah. way into this. And so my zone of genius is like, I'm or working genius is I'm incredibly creative. Like I'm inventive, mm-hmm. and 
and have a lot of discernment. But for people listening to this who don't have that necessarily, so like I can come up with new ways to, you know, look at things or shift perspective. Like that's where I naturally thrive. It's also finding those people who can help you shift that. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're in like what feels like a rigid structure of what your job is supposed to be. Right. Like, or right. Yeah. Yes. Um, Yes. Um, And I, I love the encouragement to work in the space of possibilities versus the, the, the place that you feel is um, punitive, right? Like if I only did better here, if I only did better here and like you're carving out something different by punishment, no, 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 no. That's not the way the brain works. Yeah. It just doesn't. So I think it's um, one, I think it's, it's brilliant. You're bringing up the zone of genius and to encourage more intuition to step into mm-hmm. how you give yourself permission to have your day, to give yourself, to know that you're already mm-hmm. perfect. You're already a diamond. We're just polishing it, right? Mm-hmm. The rest of your life is just polishing it so that people who need your sparkle see the sparkle. Um, but when we get to talk about women, the owning your zone of genius is only one part of the three parts that new research has identified that women need to be successful at the top. And I dove into that with so much excitement because I like, there's three parts. Oh, we now know <laughs> there's three parts. Well, what are they? And, you know, one is owning your genius, which means you need to understand how your genius shows up. What are all the forms that your genius shows up? So yeah. that when you start to recognize all the different forms of your genius, then you start to understand which doors and windows are open to you to step in and own them. What was interesting is the second part that women are really good at is embracing the genius of others. We're good about teaming, pulling people together, building the team. I mean, we almost like take it as our mission because uh, are the, the stories that we've heard of the leaders of yesteryear weren't right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually founded on some, interesting merit most of the research on leadership and getting the c-suite were all done uh on men the data is all on men over 40 (laughs) of the past right so our so women have blossomed in the work area of embracing the genius of others because that was lacking Mm -hmm. when they met resistance getting to the top or they got to the top and everybody's like yeah they own their genius and they do great things for the company, but the rest of us just get, you know, burned out or used and abused. It's almost like women, women said, here's a space where we can shine, step in there, lean in. At the cost of the third thing. And this was really interesting. And I don't know if, if you have older women in your family from the 1950s that would say things like, women just to talk about money, honey. Mm, wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> women are brilliant at money. But because we work with people and people are attached to that money, we didn't think we had to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But that missing conversation is what's keeping women from getting promoted to the top because people don't know that they know the money part. And I found that to be um, depressing and invigorating at the same time. Yeah. Like, like, shit, the 1950s is still here. What (laughs) happened? 
<laughs> and then the other part was like, we have to kill the 1950s. We really have to do, we've got some work to do, but now we know what to do. Yeah. And it, and I think the perception that I had when I was in leadership roles was I know how to talk about what I'm adding to the company, the value I'm adding. I know how to vouch for my people and the value they're adding. My perception was the money part, that's a given. If I've got the people here and they're not leaving, I automatically am helping the organization's bottom line. But no, apparently, if you know it, you still have to speak it. So the research wasn't that we don't talk about money, is that women don't talk enough about how what we offer and what our people offer are good at growing the bottom line. We're just not talking enough. We don't go, hey, oh, squeaky toy, um, puppy. Um, and I think that was really interesting. It's not that we're not talking. We're not talking enough in the right conversations or bringing up, hey, by the way, I've got a team that's been with me for five years. I haven't had to replace anybody. And we know that replacing somebody costs 150% more than their salary. Mm-hmm. So I have been helping maintain the organization. Where is my budget to keep training these people so they continue to stay? Because if I can calculate that budget that I've saved you, I need that budget back. And it's just being able to step in, lean in. Like you said, lean into our genius. Mm-hmm. But let's say your genius is so used at work. You'll put up with the stuff you don't. That you're like, what else is right for me here? Where can I grow here? Mm-hmm. Well, lean into those conversations and, and, and ask and see where you can influence the bottom line of your organization. Because the moment you ask those questions, they wake up to the fact that you want to do something different. So let's talk about it. That's really interesting. And the thing that's also coming up for me in this conversation is, well, there's a lot. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of trauma work and, you know, there's so much that permeates for us as women collectively mm-hmm. that come from the 1950s and like thousands of years ago. Oh, yeah. And, the, yeah. and, and, you know, it, it plays into our, how we view ourselves as what we're worth and, you know, all of this stuff. I've, I've been reading this book, um, Worthy by Nancy Levin. I need to bring her on the show because it's just, oh, yeah. I don't know if you've, you've read it or, or interacted with her, but it's this amazing look at like, you know, the only thing that makes us, our worth comes from the fact that we're human beings on this planet. That is it. Yep. And there's no, there's no because, because yeah. of, no. Yeah. Like, no the stuff isn't attached to it, but what I find interesting, and I think what you're talking about here also gets into like, as women were paid less than men in the same roles. Um, and it's even worse for entrepreneurs. I don't know if you've been around this, but like entrepreneurial women pay ourselves like 28 cents on the dollar compared to what men in the same role will pay themselves. It's awful. It's a perception. It's, it's a perception. Our perception. And it's getting and into because, what we're talking about here too. Like, but think about it. We've been handling budgets. We've been making things work. Again, we've mm-hmm. been making things work financially for to raise our future kids. And sometimes we know compromises when they create a win-win. So we've been conditioned to look at the win-win. Mm-hmm. What it has limited us in is sitting down and talking with the men in our lives we trust and say, if you were to do this job, what's the salary you expect? Okay, that's what I'm going to ask for. Right. Yeah. We have not stepped into trusting that our counterparts mm-hmm. want us to be successful. 
And because of that pay gap, we think it's a, 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 a men or women. And it's not. Yeah. It's a lack of understanding and a lack of asking. So if somebody comes and they said, all I need to do great work is $30,000 a year. Y'all like, really? God, that's a win for me. <laughs> we even are really happy about it. Win for me. And they love what they do and they're here. But the moment they find out their partner makes 80000 like, why? like, well, you asked for 30000 mm-hmm. You said that would make you happy. So, you know, it's a, we're missing conversations yeah. around money that inform us and allow us to have much better conversations mm-hmm. than we, we think. We think that our only conversation is with the person hiring us. No, reach out to peers, reach out to your male counterparts. I'm looking at this position. What would you think the salary range should be? What would you take? Why? Tell me more. Explain to me what that gives you. We need to start thinking in sync and learning because otherwise we will shortchange ourselves if we feel that's a win-win. We'll look at the minimum because it works. We won't look at the maximum for fear, right? So if we don't ask for fear of being denied, then we'll automatically go lower so that we at least feel good about making a win-win. We are all about brilliant equity. Mm-hmm. Women are. We we raise both sexes of kids. We see more for them than they see them for themselves. And yet we will step into a conversation wanting equity without realizing at what cost. And it's yeah. we're not having the right conversations to prepare for stepping in and defending the price of our value. We are our own worst enemy by holding on to some less informed data and not going after better data. And I'm not blaming us for this. No, this has been yeah. a conditioning, long rolling yeah. train, you know, that's circling a big top mountain <laughs> and we're starting to see things better. Mm-hmm. And, and understand that there's no good guy or bad guy here. There is just brave, People versus uninformed people. Mm-hmm. My godmother, who has two sons, and 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 then I was her granddaughter, goddaughter. You know, when I had the perception of, you know, I've always heard that girls are nice and boys are brave. She's like, I have two boys. Both girls and boys have to be brave. Girls just get to be braver mm-hmm. because she goes because a lot of things because we are the only way for us to have a future because of our the way our bodies create life we still can't do it without them but we're out of commission you know for some yeah. months while you know this new being and so that being out of commission at some point in our past made us worth protecting mm-hmm. by our by our counterparts but somehow somewhere along the way we in, somebody interpreted that for us of being less than no needing to be protected because of what we were going through it's not less than it's actually greater than we are a treasure that gets protected in these parts of our life and then we get to step out like the the she warriors we are and keep moving forward and somehow somebody got in our head yeah we bought into it and i'm no i'm no saint here i'm I'm taught this is like a pay it forward church service from what's (laughs) going on in my head from growing up you know whoa um, I have walked this walk and been pissed off at myself for the same reason. Yeah. And we normally, when we're mad 
about anything to do with pay or work or burnout, we're mad at ourselves mm-hmm. for putting ourselves there. Absolutely. And that's hard. That is just a hard place to be. When you're mad at yourself, it just sucks. It's like, <laughs> I can't be mad at anybody else. I did this. I said yes. I asked for less. Whatever. Yeah. We did this. And so when we're mad at ourselves, um, it's a great opportunity to re, um, to refresh, to regroup, to rethink. And the brilliance is we can change our minds. Yeah. And we can take, we can wake up the next five minutes from now and be a different, take different paths. And there's a reason for that. Our mind is a great hard drive. We get to program it. If you let other people program it, it's not going to work out too well. Yeah, not at all. And what I love about what you just shared there is that recognition that we're mad at ourselves because it gives us responsibility, right? It takes us out of the victim you know, the victimization of like, oh, I'm a woman and I'm never going to make as much and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, not, not that many of us, I think, live there, but there's these unconscious, you know, tones that are still showing up in how we interact. And even though it's hard and it sucks when you can take ownership, there's, there's an interest, there's an interesting um, neuroscience. There's a couple of, of neuroscience pieces there. Mm-hmm. When you have a thought, you will look around you for proof that that thought is a good one. Yep. And I, it, coaching is all about poking holes in your stories yes. and poking holes in your thoughts. And so if someone says, well, am I a woman? I'm just saying, I said, I don't think you're looking at the right data. Why don't you take a week and go study all the women CEOs? Go study the first female F-16 pilot. Go study the first female astronauts. They, they're out there pioneering industries for everyone to have a bigger footprint. Did they have to deal with crap we never wanted? They they dealt with crap crap we don't have to deal with anymore. Yeah. So look at the path that's being paved and make it wider. Because we have the chance to make more money, not just equal to the money, more money, but the other neuroscientific piece that I found really a great reminder was our brain is only looking for two things all the time, every second, every day. I explain why we like social media. We're looking for where do we fit and where can we grow? What am I doing right? Where can I grow next? Where am I respected and accepted and loved? Where do I grow next? And so if you think about social media, you go and you stalk all the people you know and like. And then somebody advertises something like, cool, how do I get that? And once I know that, where else can I go and find new people in communities? We create the infinity loop that feeds our brain. Where do I fit? Where do I grow next? Yeah. We do not have a place for criticism, negativity. It just doesn't compute. So it stops us in our tracks. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? I don't, I don't, I don't know. And then it sends us on these rabbit holes going nowhere. And I go, stop. You get to control the dialogue in your head. So when someone says something snarky, critical, it's not about you. It's about them and how they're feeling in the moment. And they're just so bad at handling their feelings. They're projecting onto you. Don't own it. Don't take it. It's about you. They could say, well, when you do this, blah, blah. And it's not about you. It's like, ooh, it's about something they're feeling. I just triggered it. They saw me. 
they we blame and project when we don't know what to do with our bad feelings mm-hmm. because of our brains always like where do we fit where do we grow next and if something gets thrown in there in the mix that wonks it all up for a hot minute we project it right out onto whoever's in front of us to get rid of it so we can go back to where do i fit where do i go and it's just this really interesting way of thinking about the brain which is why bad news, hard information, criticism is so hard to handle. We don't know where to put it. Right. And so I always coach people when someone says anything that you feel is a slight or negative, I want you to ask yourself, what if this has nothing to do with me? What if it's just about what they're feeling right now? And you can turn around and say, sounds like you're really frustrated. What are you, what's frustrating you the most right now? And it gives them a chance to tell you, and it needs to be most, not like what's everything bothering you. Right. Don't go there. That's a dump truck. <laughs> yeah. Just go for the one periscope. One thing. What is, what's frustrating you the most? And normally they'll go, oh, you know, I'm sorry. It has nothing to do with, it's this, it's this. I stubbed my toe this morning. I fell and just it culminated and boom, you got it. When you don't own snarky things people say about you and you step into owning, learning about how the other person feels, that's where you're growing. Mm-hmm. That's where you learn where you fit. It's this really interesting place to play that allows you to not be victimized, but to actually lean in as your own self-leadership and leading the conversation to a better place. For another example I I use, I get a lot at work is, well, my boss said this. I said, okay, I'd like for you to go back to your boss and say, what, I know you said this, but what am I doing right? Ask them specifically, what is the best thing you're doing in this project? What's the best thing you're doing with your team? And ask how they see it from their position. Because it's going to allow you to then look at what they said, a lot more context, a lot more information, and then you can bring it back. So let's go back to the comment you said. How would you like for me to do that better? What is it that you're hoping to see that you haven't seen, which made you say that statement? And now you're in control of the conversation and you get to know what you're doing right, where you get to grow. Yeah. And it's just an interesting thing to ask yourself, okay, there's a lot going on. What am I doing right? It's a good place to start with yourself because it helps balance out the head. And then that next question, where can I grow next? That gives you power. It gives you agency to step into something. And then you'll notice that those the darker thoughts get shorter and shorter, less and less, quieter and quieter because you're flexing a different muscle. Yeah, I really like that. And I think that's a, you know, a, simple but powerful reframe for especially women because we tend to be so self-critical in our heads so to force yourself to look at what am i doing really well like what Mm -hmm. am i awesome at first yeah and then i think it's it's somebody's planted that seed that we self-criticize that we're not enough yeah and it's from i think it's from decades and decades and decades Mm -hmm. of i mean even in our marriage vows come on (laughs) <laughs> come on I don't disagree <laughs> yeah. 
And I'm like, okay, well, when you have an agreement and you decide to marry, you can change those vows. Uh-huh. You can, <laughs> you can talk about those vows and go, all right, are we teammates? Mm-hmm. Thick or thin, better worse, sickness or in health, you know, we're teammates, you know, and, and that just was, um, I think some, I, I won't even go where my brain wants to go there. It's, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's been centuries, I think, in the yeah. making that the messaging is kind of insidious. Yes. So I would challenge all women to go study women who have pioneered in a space we don't have to pioneer anymore. Yeah. And really, really look at it differently because they didn't do it for nothing. Yeah. Exactly. And we forget whose shoulders we're riding on. Yeah. I think one of the, the coolest comments I saw, Billie Jean King, pioneer in women's tennis, right? Um, said, pressure's the privilege because mm-hmm. pressure's the only thing that can make a diamond. Yeah. And we're all diamonds. So it's, we're getting to kind of pressure ourselves mm-hmm. just to be okay with the diamond we really are. And just polish it. Yeah. Just keep loving on it. When you polish a stone, you just love on it. You don't try and change it. You don't change its shape. You don't chip on it. Mm-hmm. You love on it. And then you, it becomes brighter and brighter and brighter. And we just got to do that more. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to share a, a quick story from my own journey, which I have actually talked about on the show, even though it's a woman, it's like, don't want to talk about that. I have lots of story and all this stuff. Um, so on my, my chiropractic practice, I actually ended up filing bankruptcy um, about, about a year and a half ago. And coming through that, it shook me in ways I was not expecting because I am an entrepreneur at heart and, you know, but Mm -hmm. I had so much story and failure attached to it and like all this stuff that I made it mean about me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things a coach had me do was research other women who have filed for bankruptcy as, you know, business Mm -hmm. owners. And actually there aren't that many. (laughs) It was surprising. I could only find like two or three, but even just that little bit, you know, even though that may still be a area of pioneering for us, it helped me get out of that story. Cause I mean, if we look at like the other end of the spectrum, Donald Trump's declared bankruptcy like 11 times or something ridiculous like that. It's like a business for some, most of the data we have is on men. Yeah. So that most of the data. So, and when women, um, had a business fold they might not have ever told anybody they filed yeah so you have to like know the the accounts and the banks um but to your point we create the story we do and you cannot have success if you don't know what failure is success has to be that grows out of failure you don't walk out the door and like success because you you had to learn how to walk same analogy we yep, have to be absolutely. able to be okay with encouraging failure for our children. Like I want you to go out there and really do your best. And if you fail, we're going to have a party. And if you succeed, we're still <laughs> going to have a party. Yeah. Because you try. You're trying. And the fact that you tried is a success. If what you expected to come out of it is a failure, well, that's a failure. But you still are, su- are success because you tried. You have all the education. You have all, you kept trying. 
And that just doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means that thing you tried, well, that just was a fail. But the next thing you try is going to be have better um, capabilities of success because of that failure. You learn from things. If you don't learn from a failure, okay, it's a failure. But if you learn from it, it's not a failure at all, ever. And I think we beat ourselves up with the word failure because Mm -hmm. of the connotation of zero-sum game, either or, success or failure. It can't be either or. It has to be yes and, success and failure. And I I really think we've done ourselves, our society has done ourselves a big disservice in not embracing the learning part of everything. Mm-hmm. And I give you credit for talking about it because you make it safe for women to say, well, you mean I can, I can have a business. It fails. I may have to financially claim bank bankruptcy because that's a self-protection mode that yeah. has been built in with the banks. Thank God for that. So I can then go on and try something else and figure out what success means for me. Yeah. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. Thank you for sharing that (laughs) for allowing me the space to say it. And, you know, and it's still like at times I'm like, I don't want to talk about that, especially in my pivot to, you know, helping other chiropractors. It's like, I had this whole story about, well, I feel, I mean, I built a seven figure practice, but I failed at it. So I can't help anybody else. And I don't know anything. Like these are all the things that we get in our heads. And I'm an example to help others, you know. So to bring that to a full loop, let's celebrate, let's celebrate your, um, bankruptcy. We'll just give it the name that it has, but tell me all the things that came out of it for you that made you a better person, the person you are today and all your brilliance. What came out of that thing? There are so many things. I actually made a list of 250 of them at one point. <laughs> nice. I'm much more confident. I, I have designed a life I actually want and love. Yeah. I'm able to homeschool my kid. I'm actually home in the evenings. I my body is healing and feels good again. Like, and I have, I've learned so much about being an entrepreneur, which is like big part of who I am. I'm never going to work for somebody else. And I know that. And, you know, I have all these tools and resources and like amazing things that I can now pivot and do things quickly and have it be both simplified and like, you know, I have the vision and I have the clarity having gone through that. And I wouldn't be here without all that. So. So bankruptcy is a lot like a death, right? Yeah. It's a loss. It's it, a death of like dreams it. and things. It feels like a death. And it, your mind, the, the connotations we put with it have mm-hmm. a tendency to feel like a death. Um, but when you can, act, you can share who you are now as a better human being because of that, then you've given it positive meaning and yeah. it loses its negativity. It's just a thing. That happened. It was a small death in the whole spectrum of your long life that maybe the universe needed you to have to be who you are. We don't know. I don't want to say it's, you're destined to have, you know, these horrible things happen. That's not true. It's what you pull out of them that yeah. make them the meaningful, worthwhile thing they, they can become. Um, and I, I say that from my own personal weird experience too. Um, I had a gentleman ask me one day, he says, well, who are you now because of the bad things that happened in your life? And I'd never taken the time 
And I had to look back on the car accident that killed half my family, the car accident when I was 17 that put me in intensive care, and the car accident when I was in my 30s. And they were all stopped and turning left. So wow. trust me, I don't like left turns. Yeah. But I'm not scared of driving because I wasn't moving. I was just stopped <laughs> and turning left. Just bizarre happenstance, right? But it was the one in the middle when I was 17. And I was in the intensive care unit. It was, she was going 60 hit me in the left. I, you know, just bad. Um, And I remember being in the dark, probably a morphine haze. And I heard someone else talking. They go, well, you know, we heard that the other driver just said they never saw her. And in that moment, in my bones, I go, wow, this must be how painful it is when somebody truly feels invisible. Mm. Because I was in a lot of pain. Yeah, And it just, it just connected the dots for me of how painful it can be if you ever feel invisible. So mm-hmm. after a long recovery, I finally got to go back to school, high school. And the whole time I was kind of marinating on this feeling. So when I went back to high school, I decided that I was going to smile at everyone who caught my eye. I did not want anybody to think that I didn't see them, that someone saw them that day. And it just became this almost um, a mission, but I got very easy at smiling. And and smiling actually is the only scientific thing you can do that's a fake it till you make it. Because when you smile and use all the muscles in your face, it creates endorphins in your brain and actually lightens you up. (laughs) I was like, okay, this is great science. We got to (laughs) keep smiling. You can smile when you're not really feeling like smiling and it works. Um, you eventually feel lighter. I'm not saying you're going to be happy. You're just going to feel lighter. And people, when they see you smile, want to spend time with you. So suddenly people are pulling you out of your shell and really helping engage and get you out of some funk that you might be in. But that became just this habit I built. And it was really important. Well, I was motivated so that no one felt that I didn't see them. That's the only thing I could control. And I knew at an early age, you can only control what you can control. Um, and that that came out of that. But I had never put two and two together until this gentleman pushed yeah. me to look back and say, who did you become because of the bad things that happen in your life? Because they shape you sharper and faster than the good. So you have experienced a blessing in your life that probably didn't feel like a blessing at the time. Absolutely. And it's not the only one either. I, you know, all of us have them. Like we have, we have lovely collection. We have a gallery museum <laughs> somewhere in, hidden in our, our mind that we're like, we're not sure who we're going to let in. Tickets are really special. <laughs> That's a premium right there. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So for those listening, know that whatever those things are you're sitting on, don't want to talk about or trying to hide. Look for the blessings inside of them. I share because I want to give other women permission to just be real about life. And we've all been through. Oh, yeah. On so many levels. And Yes. Um, we all have, we all have those regrets. Yeah. But let them be little memory regrets, not something you're trying to make up for now. Right. They're learning regrets, right? They're, they're learning moments. And I, I think. We, I, how do I want to shape this statement? 
I think women are really hypercritical on themselves because we are really intelligent human beings. And we have a duty to mankind to not only shine, but to help those that we give life to for those who have children or want to have children. And there are women who don't. And that's, I honor that too. Um, But for those who choose to have children, well, now you got the added brilliant responsibility of helping them understand how to be enough. Mm. They don't have to have a because. Yeah, it's not because you're a boy or because you're a girl. You're just brilliantly enough as you are. So go on that path. Find out who that person was designed to be, fearlessly. Um, but I think closing that loop of thinking, I think that's why we have we jump to being harsh on ourselves because we set ourselves up as role models mm-hmm. to lead. And then we forget to lead our own lives in the way we want to lead for others. And we create a a spiral that isn't an intended spiral. And we don't stop and reevaluate the spiral we've created to turn the map around. (laughs) And go, oh, oh, I need to go in that direction. Okay, good. Um, And we can do it at any time of any day. Yep. And we just have permission to do it. We've never needed anybody else's permission. And no. we forget to give it to ourselves. Yes. Big time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the permission piece is huge. So everyone listening, you have permission. Yes. Like to be you. Yeah. Everything you have about you is already perfect. You either find out what you're doing right or where to grow. We can all change. We all change. So don't yeah. don't say I'm saying stop changing. We want to change. But that's where the brain's always looking for the learning part. Who do I get to be better? Who do I get to be next? Who do I get to be when I'm older? Who do I get to be tomorrow? Right? We all we need is that touchstone of Mm -hmm. what we're doing going what's what's anything that's going right is right. And if it's not going right, that's a place to learn. And we just get to go around that that loop. I love it. And I think we could keep going forever on all of this, I think, but we'll wrap up here because we've, I think we've given everyone a lot to think about. Um, so just in, you know, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you feel like is relevant to just put a bow on mm-hmm. what we've talked about today? I think the only thing I'd love to just say at the end, and this is just to honor where you've taken your podcast, that intuition piece, adding that intuition piece. We forget that the intuition piece comes from our gut. And our gut is the smartest part of our entire being. Mm-hmm. Our brains is the hard drive of our own computer. Mm-hmm. And it can get a bug. It can get a virus. And we just have to <laughs> clean it up and, and get on the right path. But the moment your gut starts talking to you, it's asking you to be brave. Mm-hmm. It's there to protect you. So when your gut speaks up, it's, assess the situation and you need to be brave enough to make the right decision for you. The intuition piece is asking you to be brave. So follow it. Love it. So much. So sorry, I'm just letting that like percolate (laughs) on on that note. (laughs) um, Where can, where can women go to connect with you if they want a little more Carol in their lives or want to get to know you better? 
Well, I love to connect with people. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, probably more than other places, just because I get great conversations there about leadership. But mm-hmm. my name is Carol, C-A-R-O-L-E-S-T-I-Z-Z-A. So, you know, it looks like pizza, but it's not. Um, <laughs> so on LinkedIn, I do have a website, relevant-insight.com. Um, and for anybody who is uh, listening, please reach out. Um, I am on Instagram as Relevant Insight Coaching. Um, I think that's also the Facebook uh, page name, but I kind of spend more time on Instagram. Yeah. And, you know, I just, and I also have an email address. Don't don't be shy. It's Carol with an E at relevant-insight.com. So awesome. um, if you have a question, if you have a story to share, if you have a tidbit of information, I love having great conversations that help us all think better. Absolutely. And I appreciate that you came on and shared one with me today. So this has been a lot of fun. Always an honor. Always an honor. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you and uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I'm on a mission to help the chiropractic profession heal collectively from the limiting beliefs and broken business models that plague our profession and lead to high rates of burnout. I also believe that women are the ones who are going to do that. I can't do it alone, and so I have two quick asks. One, if you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to leave a review and share it with a colleague. This helps the message reach even more women DCs around the world. And second, if you're a Facebook user, Join me in the Chiropractors Healing Collective, which is a place for us to come together for more support and to heal both as individuals and as a group. There we engage in discussion and many of these episodes are actually streamed live so that you can participate and share and get support around many of the topics that we discuss on the show. I appreciate you and I look forward to joining you on our next episode.